MJ here, your podcast host. This is the show where we talk about all things life, struggles, and trauma. Only full transparency, no filters, no judgment, because nobody cares. Hi, guys. Hi. We're back. We actually recorded this episode already, but we were we recorded it on a road trip and the audio was super shitty even after editing. So, take 2. Let's do this. What's your phase and fails for the week? Um my fail was the Cowboys getting their ass kicked by the 49ers. And since we're recording today, my fave is the 49ers getting their ass kicked by the Browns. That sucks. What about yours, babe? I posted a TikTok. Uh, If you don't follow me on TikTok, you should follow me on TikTok because there's a lot of Emily content. Uh, I literally just posted it five minutes ago of her talking so much shit and wearing fuzzy slippers. You're the TV. An asshole. Wearing my fuzzy slippers. I was like, trashed. So. <laughs> I don't like walking on our rocks. They hurt my feet. Uh, my faves and fails is... My fave is we went on a trip this weekend. My fail is we went on a trip this weekend. Yeah. Let me explain. It's- Let's just leave it there. We went on a trip to Redoso, New Mexico, and it was so much fun. It was very last minute. Um, and we did, we saw all the mountains and all the trees and all the things that El Paso didn't have. It's like the closest paradise to this town. And we stopped at the iconic pistachio farms, mm-hmm. right? And then. Where else did we go? Oh, we went to Inn of the Mountain Gods and we gambled. Did. Won a little bit of money. We won 30 bucks. 30 <laughs> Spiders and leaving broke. But it was so much fun. I, I get hooked every time. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad I don't have a gambling problem. This would be really bad. And then um, we stayed at this Airbnb. And it was a little RV. Like it was a vintage um, I guess trailer. It was a really small one. How big do you think that one's? Not even 30 square feet. It was tiny. It was tiny. Her name was Groovy Ruby. And it was like super hippie vibes and super cute. The weather was nice. It wasn't hot. It was um very fall weather. I got to wear all the hoodies. It was great. And then on our way back, we were driving back basically deciding that we were going to get divorced and then we got home and we were like we're not so it was a really fun emotional roller coaster kind of trip like feel like there was um, a lot of love and excitement and joy to be together finally but then also there was like a lot of unsaid unaddressed tension so we chose I chose the worst time to address things but i don't know clearly we can't live without each other so call it toxic there were two toxins love you what are you doing i love you too i think we're just like honestly two very dominant females and we're just trying to fucking dominate the other person it's not working out very well somebody's somebody's got to sit down Anyway, what remember? Do you remember what we talked about when we recorded this? How did we start that? Absolutely. We left off where you were in a vehicle driving home after you had been detention. I was in detention. Your mom, your whole family, young kids. Was your Lola with you? My Lola was with us. Lola was with you. Um, and, I, and I know this story, so I'm kind of going to pry it all out so she can really lay it out there for you guys. 
you're driving back and it's eight hours and that probably was the most interesting it really wasn't i didn't say shit but did they say something to you no so everyone was just dead silent i mean i feel i feel like my dad kept trying to get stuff out of me that's just you know fitting and i would just wasn't having it i wasn't i refused to talk i refused to say anything to anyone and now that i remember i feel like um my i was sitting next to my lola and it broke my heart because she was like trying to comfort me and she would put her hand on my shoulder and she was like, what happened to you? What's going on? Why are you like this? Why are you doing this? And I like did that thing where you like, where you, like shrug your shoulder. You, I flicked off her hand off my shoulder like a douchebag. And I, I'll never forget that. I, I regret it 100% because I feel like my whole life flashed before her eyes because she raised me from such a young age. And to see me like that was heartbreaking but when we got home there was no conversation had i don't i refused to talk i didn't talk for weeks so you pulled like a whole gandhi you were just silence yes were you eating i mean hardly 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 so super depressed i was super depressed super suicidal i didn't wanna i just didn't want to be there and i couldn't believe that i was back there again and i refused to say anything and that must have been super scary for you, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Also, I was mom, and then uh, she was clearly incarcerated. She was guilty of all these things. And I was not in a good mental space. And when Lolo and Lola... Um, they were here to come visit, or actually to co to come stay. My mom um, petitioned them to just kind of retire here, which took a while. I feel like I haven't mentioned that part. That while all this was going on, she was also dealing with Lola and Lola's papers. But um, Lola came first, and so Lola was there for a little while before Lolo came to join us. So she kind of. Um, saw dynamic of the household how i you know did everything basically and i think having her see me go through that was like heartbreaking for her because there were times where she would like ask me they just have you do that they just do that I remember specifically one time it was snowing, like two, three feet of snow on the driveway. I kind of just knew that was my job. Like I just had to shovel the snow outside as a teen girl. And it's Utah, like where everybody goes to ski. It's the winter wonderland of America. So like it's fucking, it's a lot of snow and it's hard. Guys have never shoveled snow. It's hard, especially like when it's already sat for a couple hours and so i remember like going outside already knowing wrapped up in my coat and i just know this was the same thing i had to do and lola was in the window watching me for a little while and i, I was like why is she watching and then she disappeared from the window and then like 10 minutes later she came outside like you know that episode of Friends with Joey was wearing all challenge clothes? <laughs> yeah. That's what she looked like. She was just this scrawny little Asian lady. She was always cold and she just like hated it here. Um, but she came outside to help me shovel the snow. And she was like in her late 60s, like mid-late 60s. This frail old lady, just imagine the smallest old Asian woman. And that's what she was. And she was like, let me help you. Let me help you. It's cold out here. And I told her, no, it's okay. Go inside. You're going to get sick. I don't you get sick. And she insisted on staying outside to help. And 
it made me so sad that she felt like she needed to do that. Because if you remember, I was her baby. Like, her life revolved around me. And so I feel like to see me doing all the things that she didn't really make me do when I was growing up, like, new for her. Did she, like, have the heart to say anything? Or was her actions just going out there trying to help you? Did she ever, like, say, hey, uh, why is the girl in the house shoveling the snow and not the man? She said something to my mom. I remember there were a couple of conversations about me doing all the stuff. Uh, were they telling her that was just punishment for your behavior? Or? No, they told her that that's just what she does. Like, that's her, those are her chores. She needs to be responsible. But would you say that your chores in the U.S. would have been different in the Philippines? Oh, for sure. I was, like, when I was a kid, my Lola was like, you need to learn how to wash dishes. So I would learn how to wash dishes. She was like, you need to learn how to dust the windows. So I would dust the windows. And she would teach me, like, how to wash my own clothes and stuff like that. But it was never, um... Well, with, like, gender-specific, you were raised to... Hold the household down when it came to like washing dishes or laundry and like, and I'm probably gonna get backlash for this, but like woman work. And in America, you were doing women's work and male work. Was that really weird for your role to see? Like shoveling snow, I would, my dad shovels snow. When we don't have snow in El Paso, but he would. Or he would, like, go outside and warm the car up for my mom. He does that now, and it gets, like, 80 degrees cold day. So was your Lolo taken back by that? Because you described to your Lolo as a very macho man, a man that helped the household down, a man that would pretty much do anything and not make her lift a finger. So for her to watch her, you know, like the little girl that she raised do man's work almost have been really puzzling for her. yeah uh lola was very macho sure and i think it left i'm telling you she just seemed so sad to watch me do that stuff and it made me feel bad for her to feel bad for i don't know like this weird circle of emotions but at the same time i get it it was just something that i was used to like i've been doing it for years because what at least 16 now and I've been doing that since I was 10, you know, and she was very taken aback for sure. If we lived in Utah and I asked Cybelle to shovel the snow outside, I would fuck you up. I don't, yeah. I mean, I would help her. I'd be like, come on, kids, come help shovel the snow. And they'd probably laugh like a little stupidness and they'd run back and then I'd have to do it. No, I would expect you to, like, teach them, right? She would be building a snowman while you troubled the snow. Yeah. That's just, you know, and it is, it's very traditional. Again, culturally, it's very different. Philippines is traditional. Lolo did all the car fixings and cleaning out the garage and the, to oh, I cleaned out the garage every weekend. And I was, I had to decide what to do with all the shit in the garage. Anyway, I derailed her a little bit. Um, but yeah, she she just felt super bad for me. So she would, I think she brought it up a couple of times. And then when she realized that it wasn't weird to them, she just let it go. Like, I feel like her trying to defend me, in a sense, just kind of fell on deaf ears. Um, but also, there was a lot of things that were very weird for her in America. She just did not, didn't enjoy it here. The way that everyone, that way that we all thought she would. Because, you know, in the Philippines, like I said, poverty-stricken country. And then America has everything. And you don't struggle as much as you do over there. But she also embraced the life that she that she built for herself over there. Because she was already late 60s when she came here. Or mid-60s, that could be wrong. But she was hot shit over there. Everyone knew her. She was very popular. And, and people came to her. And she ran, she ran our block. Everybody treated her with respect, and when she came here, she kind of lost, like, nobody knew her. I lost her identity. 
everybody knew her as my mom's mom. And even in the church community, she was um, introduced or acknowledged as that, oh, hey, you're so-and-so's mom, nice to meet you. But over there, she was like, you're the mom or you're the teacher or you're the, you're this person. And she just didn't have that here. And she didn't like that. That wasn't her personality. She was very an alpha female. And I guess that's where I get it from. <laughs> but you didn't control things. She had no control over anything. And she took control of everything back home. So it was definitely a culture shock when it comes to household. So she had her own space. She did. She stayed in our basement. Um, the whole basement was hers. She basically built her own little nook there. She had her own TV, her bed, her restroom. She brought her snacks downstairs. Like not being able to do exactly what she wanted, how she wanted. What was another weird thing that she couldn't see eye to eye? She didn't like the food. She hated the food. She was just like, the food here is so bland. There's no flavor. I need flavor in my food. And so I remember she would cook things and she would cook certain things. And I just, as, as best of Filipino food as she was going to get, she tried. And she just was like not happy with the food. And um, she hated the cold. She was always in layers. She would be inside the house with a scarf and like three pairs of socks all the way up to her knee. Yeah, you go from tropical weather to like, really cold snow dead ass winter that's a big change so it's starting to sound like she was going through what you went through in the transitional period like coming to america and not understanding things and not figuring it out and she got like a crash course of what you got just at a very different perspective when she was older yes and if anything i feel like it was harder for her because the more all dogs really don't learn new tricks. It's just not a thing. And so I came when I was 10. Yeah, it was hard to transition, but it was an adjustment over time. And for her to be at this point in her life, to be brought in a completely different world, I think that everybody thought that the grass was going to be greener on the other side, including her. And then when she got here, it was just not. It was all dead grass, basically, because... She was the head of the household. She con she controlled money. She controlled bills. She controlled food, groceries. She controlled like everything. And then for her to have zero power, because now she doesn't, she lives in a different household, was hard. Like I remember her kind of falling into depression because she didn't have anything to do. Like she just stayed home and watched TV all day. Like her TV was her thing and at the time we were paying for Philippine travel so that she could at least have some kind of entertainment but I remember my parents pushing her to go get a job at Walmart as a greeter and she took that so offensively she was like I'm not gonna fucking greet people at Walmart what the fuck is Walmart <laughs> she was like I was a, I was a teacher I was a teacher for this many years and I'm I she was above that job basically and then I remember a specific conversation that they had about expenses. And dad, we all were having this about bills and And my dad was like, every time you turn on this light switch, it costs money. And every time you flush the toilet, it also costs money. Ah! What did she say? I could just like, you, you would look at me so dirty if I said something like that. You would smack me so hard. What did, what did she say? She was mad. I think after that, I specifically remember that moment because that triggered her so bad. And you guys wear your emotions so hard on your face. <laughs> like I could just picture... I never met the lady, but he passed away way before I met my wife, but I could just picture her the way you guys all talk about her and your uncles and you probably had like the death stare 
She took absolutely zero shit from anyone. She was like a four foot nothing lady. But yeah. I did not fuck with her. Yeah, I've seen photos of her and like, one of them, she's mad. I don't know why she's mad, but you could tell she's mad. And she's just like glaring at me at this photo. I never met her. And I'm like, yo, why is she so So what happened? She was very insulted. She was like, I know. I know that it costs money. I know that it costs money. The electricity and water costs money. I'm not stupid. You think I'm stupid? (laughs) (laughs) So who cut that tension? Was it your mom? Or I I don't remember. Everything else was not very memorable. But that moment was very memorable to me. Because she went from zero to 100. Did she speak um, Tacalo? No, she spoke English. But in that moment, she didn't like, you know, when you get mad, you start saying things and <laughs> like tell the kids that they want Philo or like <laughs> she says crazy stuff. And so I could picture like her going from zero to a hundred and then shifting languages and coming back to English. No. She said some expressions. I think she was at that moment talking to both my mom and dad. She, she spoke English very well. It was absolutely zero language barrier. It was just, it was a very strong accent for sure. But she made it known that she did not appreciate that comment. And so um, it was a little weird because my mom was a part of this conversation. But also, I get it. You know, mom and dad ran the household. They were teen. They were married. They got the children's bags. But also, I feel like in a way... Um, even now, when you say stuff about my family, I I take it very personal because, you know, it's my family. Like, don't don't say stuff like that. Regardless of what's happened in the past, you talk about them with respect. Um, and vice versa. Like, you know, when you talk smack about your family, I'm just like, no, it's your family, you know, blah, blah, blah. But also, I feel like in this day and age, um, people are starting to normalize respect over blood. Rich, I get both sides of the story, but I feel like to a certain extent, there's just, there's a level of respect that I'm never going to lose with my family, regardless. And so for me, it was like, you know, know. so, um, anyway, she didn't like it. She didn't like the circumstances that I was in. She didn't, she was like, I didn't know that this was what's going to happen to you. She told me this because. I was super isolated from my siblings and my parents. So I stayed downstairs with her. I stayed in the basement. And I would sleep on the floor while she slept on the bed. So it was like Lolo and Lola and me back together again, you know? <laughs> and she would, we would have conversations. She would tell me stuff like, I didn't know that, that they did that to you. I didn't know if I only knew, I would have never let you come here. Um, I remember she was like, she, she would cry and I was so depressed and I was so unfazed by her emotion. But I, I clearly remember her crying and pouring apart. And she would tell me, she would tell me stuff like that. She was like, why do they treat you like that? Why? I didn't know if I only knew that that's what it was going to be. I would have just kept you in the Philippines. And if I only knew that this was how you were going to turn out, you know, and I'm so sad that you didn't get to me. She was an absolutely feisty, don't fuck with her, but the kindest heart of a woman. And she would, she was completely against the gay thing, but she would totally have fallen with you. You were, you are what she always wanted from me, just in a glow body. <laughs> she just wanted you to be happy. But she'll meet me eventually. Yeah. Let's go to the good place together. I didn't know that that's how she felt. Um, and it was really heartwarming to see that she still unconditionally loved me. Like, she saw what I was doing. She saw I ran away. She saw I sent somebody to prison. She saw a kind of a fucked up kid I was. But at the end of it all, she was still... Um, I can honestly say she was the one person that ever unconditionally loved me my whole life she wasn't happy with a lot of things that i did but she loved me and that's a perfect segue to what happened next is there was a conversation that was had 
or there was a decision that was made for me that I was going to go back home to the Philippines with my Lolo and Lola. And the idea was presented as it was for my best interest to go home to the Philippines for a little bit, take a break from the chaos of life that I was having here. And that it was also going to be better that I wasn't around the family member who molested me. They brought it back up. So did your Lola know about that? Or was that the first that she learned about it? So I told her. It all came out. It all came out. And so I feel like this was a premeditated plan that they all had three of them before they told me about it. Because Lola already knew. When we all sat down to have another fucking family meeting. Well, family meetings. She already knew. She was just like, yeah, you're going to come home with me. And so you're the last You're the last one in this meeting to know what was going to happen to you, your life and your faith. And you're 16. At 16, I was like planning my college bound years. Like I knew where I was going. So you just got picked up. And you're like, okay, let me just relocate you over here 18 hours away in the airplane. Yeah, they made it seem really good, like it was going to better me. And um, Lola was very happy. She was very happy that she was going to take me home. She was going to go back to her homeland where she controls everything. And in a way, I was sad. Like, I didn't want to fucking leave. There was this woman who I sent to prison. I don't know. It was just a conflict of emotions for me. I didn't want to leave. But also at the same time, I just I didn't want to be there anymore. And so I was happy to be going home. Um, I didn't have a choice. No, you didn't. And so we went home, I think, maybe a month or two after the whole thing went down. Um, and as soon as the plane landed, like, my uncles, they picked us up from the airport. And well, 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 we're pretty old at this point. And so all the uncles did the talking. And on the drive home from the airport, which is like a 12-hour drive, they were all lecturing me. They also, they already had like this preconceived idea of what I was going to be like while I was there. Because I remember one of my uncles being like, you better not try to pull any of that shit that you were pulling over there with my sister. That's not going to fly here. You better act right here. You better, you better this, you better that. You better be on your best behavior while you're here because that's not going to fly here. We're not, (laughs) you know, like. Try the scare tactic, basically. And at this point, I was still not talking. I still refused to say anything to anyone. I still refused to say how I felt. And it was really sad because I was so excited to see everybody. Like, I was so excited to see my uncles because I hadn't seen them in, like, years. And I remember how much they loved me when I was young. And my papa was already home at this point. And everybody was, like, not happy to see me and it was like a really shitty feeling because I was like yes I'm home I'm with the people that cared about me and loved me but because mom would communicate to the whole world literally every time I did something fucked up they had like this they just had a scarlet letter on me basically they just had this like um idea of of how I just was and Still to this point, like nobody understood me and why I did the things that I did, and it sucks because I thought I was going home to this place where it was where it was always my home and I was having welcomed and I wasn't, you know, and I feel like I took that and ran with it, and it started a whole new era. Ooh, so are we talking about like an Emily era? Where you just ran wild and free and did whatever you wanted. Because they're making you out to be this really bad kid. When I think of bad, I think of drugs, party, going out, you skipping class. Just doing all the things that you're not supposed to be doing. And trying not to get caught or getting caught. And yours was more just not abiding by church law 
rules and regulations and being gay and like I mean if we put thin down in a book or a list or a column like you're probably at the lower end of being bad right I feel like I wasn't bad at all but in the eyes of Filipino culture I was the worst but also not the worst because I, I didn't get pregnant I didn't bring a baby home at 16 so not that not gay bad any day I'm just saying you know I brought different kinds of headaches I guess to to the family and so like when I got there Lola tried to take care of me she put me in this most elite private elementary school because now I'm Americanized and I'm like this high class kind of kid and she thought I was gonna dominate this school and I wasn't in the right mental state to even try attempt that absolutely not like I was over here competing with Asian kids guys like these kids okay I'm gonna get backlash for this but stereotypes are funny because they're true okay like kids that play the piano with with Asian eyes that could do math in 2.7 seconds in their heads these were the kids that were going to this school that was not me no I mean you skipped like half your school because you were homeschooled <laughs> yes oh yeah that's like if you had kids during covid and it was their primary years, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. You, they're struggling right now because they went from school to home to home to school. And now we're struggling. So you're like a COVID kid, but more like Mormon kid. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. We doing packets. I was doing packets, but also the pressure and the expectation of the educational system in America is so different from the pressure and expectation in the Philippines. It is like we we can speak English in first grade. For real. Even though it's our second language, that's just, you know, like we're, we're smart. But also, I wasn't that kid anymore. I was that kid up until third fourth grade and when I came here all, all of that kind of deteriorated so anyway I was put in this elite private elementary school and uh I sucked ass not quite literally but I I just didn't do good as well as you know Lola thought I was going to and I going back to my first episode I brought shame for her name because she was a very well-known retired teacher in all of this town. And she got me into the school using her name. And everybody was like, oh, this is Miss, Mrs. So-and-so's granddaughter. We better take her in. But then her granddaughter ain't worth a fuck. So that was really embarrassing for her. So I went from this, <laughs> I went from this elite private school to this rink-a-dink, ghetto-ass public school that literally was ghetto in the town because that's the only school that would take me. <laughs> hey, we got a school I got here. It's called Keys Academy. <laughs> called Ferdinand School for all the kids that can't perform well in their regular classes. Get yourself. Um, so you had a fun group of kids you were hanging out with then, huh? That's cool. You probably had some friends. I had some friends. You know what though? I I retract. It was um it was known to be for the lower class families. So if you were poorer, you know, and lived on the squatter side of town, this is the school that you can afford to go to. And kids came with dirty uniforms and brown shirts that were supposed to be like white and it was just this it was poverty through and through for sure however i dominated this fucking school <laughs> let's go <laughs> i couldn't dominate the fancy one but i dominated this one got it and i feel like this was when um I found my self-esteem and my confidence because I made a lot of friends that were down to earth and weren't stuck ups and they were very humble and they came from like 
literally humble beginnings when they would literally have dried fish and rice and soy sauce for lunch and there were times where I would go to like classmates houses for lunch and that was all they had and but they were cool and happy and like worry free and accepting accepting like nobody judged me everybody feared my Lola everybody in that school feared my Lola and every time I would slough class they would try to have my back and be like, hey, your Lola's going to find out. You should you better show up to class because your Lola's going to come here and look for you. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. And I thought I was this hot shit. So I would slough class and go drinking. And it was bad. Like, I uh, found new horizons that I had never found before. And I learned about alcohol and I learned about cigarettes. And I started drinking and smoking at the age of 16. All because I was just in cool crowds i wouldn't say the wrong crowds i would say cool crowds but i didn't do anything past cigarettes and alcohol that was it and um one day my teachers were just so impressed by my american accent and it just made me seem so intelligent because i just had this accent nobody else had everybody else had this super thick asian accent and uh, they were like, hey, we're having a pageant for the school. It's a fundraiser. And everybody that's going to join needs to raise funds for the school. And whoever raises the most funds wins the crown. So it's a money-winning contest? You got to raise money to win this beauty contest. Yes. That's crazy. So, like, anyone could have won? Anyone could have won as long as you raise the most money. Okay. What the popularity? Basically, yes. Hundred times. Well, this one ends. <laughs> oh well. There you go. <laughs> she knew everybody, and everybody owed her money because she was just the fucking basically the mayor of this side of town. And so I went home. The the teachers brought it up to my attention because they were like, hey, you have some rapport. You could really do this score really good. And at first I was like, I'm not going to fucking join a pageant. I'm like, what? No, that's not me at all. But then I went home and I talked to Lola and she was like, let's do it. <laughs> but at first she was like, I'm not going to raise money. I'm not going to put all the money into that. And I was like, well, you don't have to, but you know, all these people and you can help me raise them. And she was like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And so I remember during the time that I was off of school, we would ride tricycles and we would go to people's houses and she would be like, you owe me money. Put it in this envelope so my granddaughter can win this pageant. And we would go to like the high elite, like counselors, city council, uh, I think like mayor at some point, an old mayor. We went to their houses and she was like, can you please support my granddaughter in the school fundraiser? It's a competition, and needless to say, I won. And after um, tallying up the monies, and also I had overseas family relatives. Like, my mom was here in the States, so she sent some money. I have aunts and uncles all over the country. I mean, yeah, all over the world. So they sent some money, and that helped a lot. And then after tallying the money, we had a coronation night. And that was the pageant in itself. So they had swimsuit, they had talent portion, they had Q&A. Um, but it was dumb. It was all for show because everybody knew I was going to win the crown. But the modeling and the walking and the Q&A was all genuine. It was all authentic and real. And so I won and there were people, there was a lot of people watching this pageant. And um, there were managers, there were gay managers in the crowd, and they saw me, and they heard me talk. And I'm telling you, man, it's the accent. They were like, oh, man, she's the next big thing in this town. And after that first pageant, I went on to join seven more. I had um, my own managers. I had my own makeup artist, my hairstylist. I had a walking coach. I went and did modelings and I discovered this side of me that was absolutely just been dying to come out. Honestly, like I found 
my confidence and I felt so good about myself that I had, I've never, I hadn't felt that good about myself since the time that I was winning curricular competitions that my Lola would put me in. And it was also really nice because these pageants were cash prizes and I won maybe like 95% of them. Um, I would win the cash prizes and I would have them with my Lola to help her with bills and whatnot at home. And she was very grateful and she was really happy. And I don't know, I found like new purpose in life. That's really cool. Watching you talk about it, she's all excited and like animated. I wish you guys could see the other side of it. But it sounds like you finally got this um, calming ground where you're happy and you're finding purpose and you're getting to navigate life on a lighter note. And then you have like a team member on your side. On and she's super excited. Um, how about like your friends and stuff? Where, where is that at? Are you still gay? <laughs> that's like, that's been the lingering question. Are you still doing the girl thing and beauty pageants? Yes. So even though Lola was very proud of me for doing these things and and you know bringing honor to the family so to speak and i was being well known um i was still doing the girl thing and if anything i took it to the next level i i had relationships like serious relationships with girls while i was out there and that was the one thing that she could not get past she thought that it was the most disgusting thing she was like how could you be this beautiful beauty queen <laughs> how can you be so pretty and so gay huh why are you gay literally my Lola and all my uncles were like so baffled by the fact that I was this intelligent beauty queen that was modeling through stages and taking home these prizes and crowns and trophies but then off stage I liked girls and that was a very taboo in the philippines that's just not okay it's just not something that you do um people do it and they're 100 percent judged left and right and so it wasn't something that i talked about but it was also some it wasn't something that i hid either so on the streets you know i would be holding hands with my girlfriends and and people would recognize me and they would whisper and they would talk and it was it was really it was shitty because here in the states that's not really it's not a big deal but over there, it was shameful. So it was almost like the fact that I was I I was the crown holder for all of these things. My homosexuality or my sexuality discredited the fact that I had all of these accomplishments because you can't be a beauty queen and be gay at the same time. That's just that's gross. You know, like that wasn't okay. So she she couldn't get past that. She hated it. She hated every second of it. And we would get into fights and arguments, regardless of the fact that I was supporting the house a little bit with my competitions. She just was like, no, you're going to come home at this time and you're only going to go there and then you're going to come back and then you're going to go to your practice for your fashion for your fashion show and then you're going to come home. But I had a cell phone and that's I didn't do that. <laughs> I would go and meet up with, you know, friends. And then I would come home like late, like nine. That's late. <laughs> what? Oh my God. I came home at nine. That's crazy. So you were living your best life. I was living my best life. And it was just, I, I think that it was inappropriately aged. Like I shouldn't have been doing that at that age. But also, um, she's shaking her head, guys. She's done worse at that age. But also, you have to remember, I was in a different culture now. And I was under my Lola's care again. And on top of that, I've just had this leash all these years. And it was like, or like I was in this cage all these years. Like a lion that was just getting ready, just ready to get the fuck out of the den. And then I got out because 
and I will say it, I took advantage, full advantage of the fact that my Mola was older. And she was weak and frail and she couldn't beat me and she couldn't come after me and run after me and all the things that were being done to me, you know. And she didn't have the energy all the time to be yelling at me. She was old and I fully regret taking advantage of that because she just loved me and she just wanted me to be safe and be careful. And I, I didn't, of course, I didn't know that back then. I was a kid. I was a kid and was just traumatized and was just so ready to see the world. And I, and I did so much so that I left the house. I didn't run away. I just left and never came back. And I lived with um, my girlfriend at the time. And we found like this apartment and my big brother in the Philippines, the big brother in the Philippines, if you remember, he would send me money monthly to help me pay rent. And then um, I would gamble my way to school and gamble for lunch money. Like, just such a cheater, by the way. We were playing, it's called Pongus. We were playing cards earlier and she whoops my ass every time. I'm such a competitive player. I get frustrated and mad. I'm like, you're looking at my cards. You're cheating. These are really good guys. So I want to play cards against it. She used to fight for lunch money this way. Like she was, she was bustling people for noodle money with these cards. <laughs> Not noodle money. <laughs> noodle money. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get good like I couldn't ask Lola for money and at, 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 in the Philippines we don't have like free lunch in the cafeteria we don't even have a cafeteria okay like you needed lunch money and you needed tricycle money to get to school and home and you needed lunch to, to eat there were days that I didn't even have breakfast and I would like take that time to gamble grown ass men at this card game and they would lose change and I would take that change and I would make it work you know and the girlfriend at the time and I that's what we both did because like she was going to school at the time too she was in college and I we both did that together we would hustle these guys a lot of their money like <laughs> cards and we were like okay great another day like with food you know and there was a time where we lived with her parents too and I felt bad because they were very poor and they they didn't have a lot to share, but they did. Like, they, they had an extra mouth to feed because I was living with them. And I felt really bad, but I was also very grateful. Like, her mom was super nice to me. And I I, I would hear them in the bedroom, like, fighting. Like, when is she going to go home? I can't afford to keep feeding her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And that's when we were like, you know what? Let's go figure it out. Let's go find our own way. So, because God gave me a talent. I started singing on the weekends. I joined a band and we would sing at restaurants and bars and live music and people would tip me. And those were the weekends where I made the most money because I was pretty and light-skinned and long hair and I, was, I sounded good, I guess. <laughs> All the things that she's talking about right now is how she won me. Sing to me. Gathering me on my old things. <laughs> Don't. Will you sing? No. Just like, yeah. No. Please wait. No. <laughs> We're running out of time. Right, well, I'm not going to get off of this. <laughs> like a small portion. You can't sing. No, I can't sing. Oh, Let's try though. But yeah, so I joined a band. We sang every weekend and um, the weekends that I didn't have pageants. And that was also one of my the talents that I would do for pageants. I would just sing and I would fucking win. So, um, yeah. And all the while, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and whiskey and all these things. And I just, you know, it was fun. <laughs> It was fun. I had a sense of purpose. I had people knew me. Like, it was really cool two years that I spent back home. But um, looking back now, my every adult in my fucking life was like, what the fuck is wrong with her? Who raised her? <laughs> and nobody, actually. So there's that. Just a little bit of rap. 
I raised myself, so Filipino kid. Would you expect, you know? And one day, I cut all all communication with everybody when I moved out. So one day, um, Lola, Lola caught wind of where I was staying, and she told my uncle. And this uncle is the most macho of them all. You know, he's the one that was a lot of bark and talked a lot of shit and the most muscular one out of all of them. And um, they came to where I was staying and they just showed up in the middle of the night while I was gambling for money. And next thing I know, it was this water area where we were staying. I know, I know, it's so crazy. So you guys, when I tell you, like, I've done it all and I don't care about anything, which is why this thing is called Nobody Cares, I've done it all. I've lived in squatter area. I've lived in a nook, like, with just four wood boards and I slept on the floor on the dirt. Like, it, it was... I'm no one to judge anything because I've been through everything. Fuck's sake, I sent somebody to prison. Anyway, I drilled again. Um, and just showed up in the middle of nowhere. Next thing I knew, I heard all this yelling and they found me and uh, he punched me. He's like, he hit me in the face and I fell to the ground. And while I was on the dirt, he, he was just yelling at me. You're putting your Lola through all this shit. She's way too old to be worrying about you. Why are you doing this? You're fucking stupid. Like all the hurtful things that were true. You know, she was old and she was frail and she was very stressed because she loved me so much. And she just thought that my life was going to go in a different direction and it wasn't going the way that she expected. So, you know, he used his muscles. He used his muscles. Is that the scar that you have on your knee? It is a scar that I have on my knee and my shin. I have scars on my shin and my knee. He dragged me through the dirt to get me all. So, like, he was on his motorbike, and while I was down, he dragged me through the dirt and rocks to put me in a tricycle so I could go home. And I cried the whole way home. And, yeah. It was very traumatizing. There were, like, 30 people that were watching, because all the houses are, like, touching each other. So as soon as all those yelling happened, everybody came out of their fucking houses, and nobody did a damn thing. Nobody stood up for me. Nobody blocked the hit. Nobody, nothing. Not even my girlfriend. Shoot. You picked all the wrong ones. All the wrong ones. You were too busy getting engaged to everybody. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. This is your podcast. Let me tell you about my life. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a great place to end it. Yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> talk about that one real quick. Yeah, it's okay. We're done. We're done. So next episode, I'm gonna figure out what happened to you and your bloody knees. <laughs> Getting in the jeep, me. So much for listening. Thank you for caring enough to give me some of your time today. Subscribe, comment, leave a review, and share this with your loved ones that you know would enjoy it. Next week's episode, we'll be talking about how I ended up back in the States. Follow to make sure you never miss an episode and go on with your day as your unapologetic, authentic self. Because literally, nobody cares.